Amen, that the King of love is on His throne. And we give Him praise and glory and honor for that here this evening. What a joy it is to sing His praises with you, church. And now let's turn into His Word together. Let's turn together to the book of Esther, uh, the book of Esther chapter 4. Tonight we are moving in a different direction. The title of tonight's message is The Providence of God. And I'm mixing things up, so disregard the screen in front of you. Disregard what you have there. And we are, again, I see looks upstairs, guys looking at each other. And uh, this was something that happened in the study this, this afternoon. As I begin to trace out tonight's message, it was supposed to be One Sleepless Night, Esther chapter 5 and 6, and that will await us next time. But as I was studying in God's Word, what becomes very quickly apparent and something that I could not escape in Esther chapter 4, 5, and 6 is just the unseen hand of God. And I think it would do us well tonight to go slowly and to trace God's hand not only in Scripture and as we'll prepare the way for what's coming next in Esther, but also as we'll see His hand in our lives as well. This is the time of year where we uh, give particular attention and thanks, thankfulness, give a full day as a nation, Thanksgiving Day. And as Christians, we have much to, get, to be thankful for, do we not? And as we think, uh, think and reflect upon God's providential hand in our lives, as we consider and meditate upon God's providence here this evening, what I hope that it does is not only as we see His hand in the past to see God's hand working amongst His people, but He will stir up our hearts to remember and consider how He has provided for us particular moments, strategic moments of need, particular moments where we have, uh, we say, Lord, if you don't come through, I don't know what's going to happen. And he did just that. And uh, what a joy it would be. We will not take time to do this tonight, but what a joy it would be to reflect and just give testimonies of his grace, of how the Lord and his providence worked in uh, just the proper time and way. So join me in Esther chapter 4 in verse 10. Esther chapter 4 and verse 10, and the word of the Lord reads there, Then Esther spoke to Hathak and gave him a command for Mordecai. All the king's servants and the people of the king's provinces know that any man or woman who goes into the inner court, the king, who has not been called, he has but one law, uh, put all to death, except the one to whom the king holds out to the golden scepter that he may live. Yet I myself have not been called to go into the king these thirty days, and so they told Mordecai Esther's words, and this is what I want us to consider as the on-ramp for this evening. And Mordecai told them to answer Esther in this way. Do not think in your heart that you will escape in the king's palace any more than all the other Jews. For if you remain completely silent at this time, relief and deliverance will arise for the Jews from another place. But you and your father's house will perish. Yet, who knows... Here's the question of providence, the consideration of the Lord's will and hand at work. Who knows whether you have come to the kingdom for such a time as this? Well, then Esther told them to reply to Mordecai, Go and gather all the Jews who are present in Shushan and fast for me. Neither eat nor drink for three days, night or day. My maids and I will fast likewise, and so will I go to the king, which is against the law. And if I perish, well, then I perish. Verse 17, so Mordecai went his way and did according to all that Esther commanded him. Now turn with me to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2, and look with me at verse 8, 9, and 10. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8, 9, and 10. As you're turning there, I want us to consider this evening this doctrine of the providence of of God. It seems as if in every sphere right now, I say every sphere, in a couple of key spheres of our teaching ministry at Grace, uh, the study is upon the, the attributes or the perfections of God. In Adventure Club, that's what the children and teens have been studying uh, since the start of Adventure Club in August, uh, excuse me, late August, early September. And uh, in our Sunday school class on Sunday mornings, we've been particularly studying the attributes of God. And so this is very fitting for us to do. Going to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, notice these well-known, familiar verses, ones that we turn to often. Paul writing says this, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Now, our attention to verse 10. 
For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. I love Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, but don't miss number 10 in light of the whole uh, flow there. So Paul here says that we are prepared for his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. Friends here this evening, have you ever just given time and consideration to, you think about the language of Esther chapter 4, now moving into 5 and 6, Mordecai is getting Esther to consider some things. He wants her to see God's hand in it all. And he says, who knows whether or not you've been brought to the kingdom for such a time as, as this. As those who are under the, the new covenant, we have real tangible evidence and reason to ask ourselves the, the same question. Why has God in his providence allowed us to be alive in the here and now? This question and the answer to this question and seeing how God's hand has been at work and is at work really gives joy and vitality to our Christian lives when we get stagnant. Uh, sometimes you and I, we get so lost in the circumstances of things that we, we, we forget, yet yeah, we come to church on Sunday and we sing that God is on His throne. Hallelujah, hallelujah. The King of love is on His throne. Hallelujah, hallelujah, as we just did. The King of love is on His throne. But then we get weighed down with the burdens and concerns and the cares of life and we, we sing about God being on His throne but we do not make the connect the dots. We do not make the connection to the fact that God is on his throne and he's reigning over me and he has me where I'm at for the, such a time as this, for this very moment. Paul says in Ephesians 2 that we are created, we are his workmanship, and that he has before ordained good works for us to fulfill. We call this in Christian knees the, the will of God. The will of God for my life, or my life for God's will. So I just want to hit pause for a second here and just say, as we were just singing, we understand that God has ordered and structured and created all of creation. Let all the moons and all the stars and all the universe sing praises to the living God who rules them by His Word. Do you believe that? Tonight we're going to see some examples from Scripture where the God of Scripture and the God of Providence ordains and uh, leads and guides not only the human sphere, but also the creative realm, nature, animals, to fulfill His will. What is so interesting is that the birds of the air and the animals in the animal kingdom do not struggle with the providence or sovereignty of God, but we as, as Christians, we certainly do sometimes. Well, we're considering this just very briefly, what Paul says there, that we are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. And what good works are they? Well, of all the things that they are, he says this, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Friends, that should strengthen you. That should give some, some backbone to your life. That should, that should fuel your prayer life to know that nothing is vain or useless. That here living in the year of 2023, that all of the acts and mighty works of God are not left in the book of Esther. Are not relegated to the Old Testament. Are not simply the stories as we'll get around the table no doubt this week and uh, rehearse God's goodness and fellowship with family and friends and loved ones and say, how are things in your life and what has the Lord been doing and uh, how has he been working and the natural gravitational pull, spiritual gravitational pull of fellowship and Christians coming together to celebrate what God is doing. I pray that we're strengthened as we consider God's providence. Pink says this, A.W. Pink says this about the providence of God. He says, the providence of God is his care of and provision that he makes for his creatures with his supervision and superintendence of them in all aspects. The providence of God and his government of the world is a subject of deep importance to the Christian for the proper views of, of it. He will, through proper views of it, he will learn to see God's activities in the daily works of his hands. Thomas Watson said this and penned these profound words about God's careful hand of providence. He says, there is no such thing as blind fate, but there is, capital P, providence that guides and governs the world. Providence is God's ordering all issues and events of things after the counsel of his will to his own glory. The wheels of the clock seem to move contrary one to the other, but they help forward the hands of the clock. 
One more here. Henry Law says this, another Puritan who lived a good 200 years after Watson says this. Henry Law says, No sparrow falls, no leaf decays, but in accordance with God's ordering mind. Chance is a figment of the dreaming pillow. Chance never was and it never can be. Thus to the child of God there is no trifle or, notice here, or unimportant event. Momentous issues often hang on, notice here, quick words, sudden looks, or unintended steps. We will certainly be seeing that as Esther comes into the court of King Xerxes. Eye contact is made as he's sitting on his throne. We see that momentous issues, as law says, often hang on quick words, sudden looks, or unintended steps. As we are studying the book of Esther, we're discovering and have been looking at how God raised up Esther and Mordecai for this specific moment in history, as we have phrased it in Scripture, for such a time as this, and how God is using them to deliver His people from a very real and certain uh, destruction. And what we're finding is that God has the right people for the right times and the right places to do His will. And what I want us to do is just take some time, be patient with us. We're going to turn some di- to some different passages of Scripture, and we're going to find that God is not a God relegated in the sense of perfect timing in the book of Esther uh, or in other in the book of Ruth, as we've looked at also recently, but that God is, this is His way. This is how He delights to work in a way that, that provides deliverance for His people, also dependence and direction, trusting for daily bread, and also bringing destruction to His enemies and the enemies of the people of God. Well, number one, as we look in the Scriptures, I want you to turn with me to 1 Kings chapter 17 and verse 9. 1 Kings chapter 17 and verse 9. And I want us to consider under a first heading, God's provision of basic necessities. God's provision of basic necessities. Another way of looking at it is His timing. God's timing and His provision of basic necessities. And one thing we know is that God's time is not our time. Or another way of saying it is that uh, God is not on our time, but we are on, on His time. In fact, Job thirty four twenty one. Job says this. He says, For the eyes of the Lord are on the ways of man. He sees all His steps. So it's not as if God is ignorant or unaware of our uh, conundrums, our situations that we find ourselves in. But let's look at a, an example in Scripture, the widow of Zarephath. In 1 Kings chapter 17 and verse 9, we see God's timing. We see a widow, we see God's man, and we see what the Lord has to say. First Kings, in fact, as I'm talking, I need to turn there myself, so give me just a second. First Kings in chapter 17 and verse 9. First Kings 17 and verse 9. Here we have, Then the word of the Lord came to him, saying, Arise and go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. And see that I have commanded a widow there to provide for you. So he arose and went to Zarephath, and when he came to the gate of the city, indeed, a widow was there gathering sticks. And he called to her and said, Please bring me a little water in a cup that I may drink. And as she was going to get it, he called to her and said, Please bring me a, a... a morsel of bread in your hand. So she said, As the Lord our God lives, the Lord your God lives, I do not have bread, only a handful of flour in a bin, and a little jar and a little oil in a jar. And see, here I am gathering a couple of sticks that I may go in and prepare it for myself and my son, that we may eat it and die. So here we have the perspective of this widow. She's at the end of her provision, she's at the end of her rope, and yet God is working. He's working in the life of his servant, Elijah, but he's also working in her life and the life of her son as well. God is always, friends, working, executing his sovereignty through the daily provision in the sense of his providence, through the daily ordinary things of life. He is working, working and proving himself in the lives of three individuals here. Here we have her perspective that she is preparing for her last meal. She's preparing to die. Verse 13, And Elijah said to her, Do not fear. Go and do as you have said, but first make me a small cake from it and bring it to me. 
and afterward make some for yourself and for your son. This is a bold request. This is just enough for them to have their own last meal. My dad has always said that this was cornbread, southern cornbread, and uh, cook, the kind that's cooked in a, in a skillet. We, we can laugh about some things, can't we, right? All right. Well, they, he, So then he says, so she's preparing for this meal, and this is a bold request. He's saying, please make some for me first. Verse 14, and thus says the Lord God of Israel, the bin of flour shall not, shall not be used up, nor shall the jar of oil run dry until the day that the Lord sends rain on the earth. So here's the test of faith. Verse 15, so she, so she went away and did according to the word of Elijah. And she and he and her household ate, notice here, for many days. The bin of flour was not used up, nor did the jar of oil run dry, according to the word of the Lord, which he spoke by Elijah. Here we have an amazing account of the Lord's provision of a little widow woman in the middle of nowhere. And he's also leading and working in God's man. He's providing and leading him and building his faith, and yet he has a mission, he has a job to do, Ephesians 2.10. This is one of those good works that the Lord has before prepared for Elijah to fulfill in accordance with his will and for his glory. And we see that in the life and perspective of this uh, just unexpected, most of the world would look down upon her, uh, we, but, and, and see in her poverty, she would die, her son would die, and yet none would scarcely notice. But notice how she has the attention of God. Consider the providence of God in Elijah and the widow. But now, turn with me to Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4. And again, we're considering the daily provision, basic provision of God's providence, His pattern, His ways of working. And we're looking at some examples from Scripture. Now turn with me Luke chapter 4. The context here of Luke's gospel is that Jesus has come to Nazareth and he's come to read the scriptures among his people on the, in the synagogue on the Sabbath day. Verse 17 tells us that he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah. And he opened up to the place where it was written, verse 18, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Then he closed the book and gave it back to the attendant, and he sat down, and then all the eyes who were in the synagogue were fixed upon him. And he began to say to them, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. So all bore witness to him and marveled at the gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth. And they said, Is this not Joseph's son? So he said to them, You will surely say this proverb to me, Physician, heal yourself. Whatever we have heard done in Capernaum, do also here in your country. Now notice here. Then he said, As surely I say to you, no prophet is accepted in his own country. But I tell you truly, many widows were in Israel. Okay, which, what is he talking about? He's talking about our passage here in 1 Kings 17. He says, but I tell you truly, many widows were in Israel in the days of Elijah. When the heaven was shut up three years and six months, there was a great famine throughout all the land. But to none of them was Elijah sent except to Zarephath in the region of Sidon to a woman who was a widow. And many lepers were in Israel in the time of Elisha, the prophet and none of them were cleansed except for Naaman, the Syrian. Well, what is their response to this? Is it rejoicing at the God who's sovereign and the God who reigns? And he executes that sovereignty and has mercy upon whom he has mercy and raises up people for his purposes and his will? No. This is Jesus preaching the word of God on a Sunday morning. And how does the, how does the audience respond to this understanding of God's work, his providence, his will, and his way? Well, notice verse 28. So those who were all were in the synagogue, when they heard these things, they were filled with wrath, and they rose up and thrust him out of the city, and they led him to the brow of the hill on which their city was built, that they might throw him down over the cliff. Then passing through the midst of them, he went his way. Here we see that the Lord loves to provide, loves to work, but these ways of working throughout the Old Testament are not insignificant, even the providing of daily bread. This widow of Zarephath is referenced in one of the very first public ministry moments among his own people. 
God's hand of providence working in her life, is working in Elijah and also in this woman to provide her basic daily necessities. Yes, there's much more to the text in both of these is this. We're just looking and tracing God's hand. Now turn with me briefly to 2 Kings, just over from our passage in 1 Kings. 2 Kings chapter 4 and verse 1 through 7. And I was reminded as I was looking at a number of these cross-references that oftentimes, unless a pastor will stand up and preach on these, and it may take a while for him to get to some of these Old Testament texts, the only time we come across them is in our Bible reading, our Scripture reading. And sometimes we can be so in the plan and checking the boxes which is good to read the Bible, don't get me wrong, that we can miss the beauty of God's hand at work in the lives of individuals. God working in specific ways. 2 Kings chapter 4 and verse 1. A certain woman of the wives of the sons of the prophets cried out to Elisha, saying, Your servant, my husband, is dead, and you know that your servant feared the Lord. And the creditor is coming to take my two sons to be his slaves. So Elisha said to her, What shall I do for you? Tell me, what do you have in the house? And so she said, Your maidservant has nothing in the house but a jar of oil. Then he said, Go and borrow vessels from everywhere, from all your neighbors. Empty vessels. Do not gather just a few. And when you have come in, you shall shut the door behind you and your sons and then pour into all those vessels and set aside the full, the full ones. So she went from him and shut the door behind her and her sons, who brought the vessels to her, and she poured it out. Now it came to pass when the vessels were full that she said to her son, Bring me another vessel. And he said to her, There is, uh, there is not another vessel, so the oil ceased. Then she came and told the man of God, and he said, Go and sell the oil and pay your debt. And you and your sons live on the rest. In the life of Elisha and Elijah, there are multiple accounts of the Lord using poor people's possessions, people who are living in a certain place, a certain time, and under certain circumstances. The Lord chose in His providence to allow their husbands to die, in the example of both of these. And we see how the Lord raises up a situation of uncertainty. These widows are desperate and they come to the men of God or the men of God are sent to them. And we see how the Lord provides in miraculous ways. Friends, I just want to call to your remembrance that this is the way the Lord works. The Lord is a God of miracles. He is a, the miracle working God. And sometimes we can get so caught up in the um, in the, the ecstasy, if you will, of the imagination of the, the, the miracle coming place. And we think of it as being grandiose and, and, and lights in the sky and fireworks and lightning. But the reality is, is that God uses ordinary people and ordinary events and ordinary means to perform miracles. That is to say, He uses other people to meet the needs that we would call our miracles. Don't hear me as saying that I'm lessening the work of God. I'm, I'm not meaning to do that. But it's not all angels coming to people and dropping something, uh, you know, randomly. It's God using, He delights in using and meeting His children's needs by raising up other children to come along and to be used of His purposes as they seek the Lord and seek the will of the Lord as the, He leads them by His Spirit. We see that God works His miracles in profound ways, but often using uh, ordinary people and ordinary things. Here, considering God's Provision right in the, the right moment, the nick of time, uh, to sustain and keep his servants alive. If you're taking notes, one more reference is in 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 1. Again, another moment in the life of Elijah. We see that he runs from his life. We're not necessarily going to turn there and read uh, the whole passage. But we see that he is famished. We see that he lays down uh, to die. Verse 3 of that passage, and it says, And when he saw that he ran for his life, but he went a day's journey into the wilderness, and that the Lord provides for him miraculously his food and his drink. And the Lord provides for his daily necessities and his sustenance. He's depressed, and yet the angel of the Lord is sent. An example of the angel of the Lord providing for him, bringing him strength as he needs it. One of my favorite examples, one more, is in Genesis chapter 21, verse 17, and it's that of Hagar and Ishmael. If you remember this passage, it's where they're dismissed from the family and the fold and the tribe of Abraham. They're sent away. Abraham is 
excuse me, Abraham, Ishmael and Hagar are making their way and they've reached a point of desperation. They're in the desert, Genesis 21, 17. She cannot bear to see her son die. So she lays him down in a good ways away and then she herself lays down and prepares to die. They think that they are deserted. In Genesis 21, 17, And God heard the voice of the lad, and the angel of God called out to Hagar out of heaven and said to her, What ails you, Hagar? Fear not, for God has heard the voice of the lad where he is. Arise and lift up the lad and hold him with your hand, for I will make him a great nation. Notice here, And then God opened her eyes, and she saw a well of water. And there she went and filled the skin with water and gave the lad to drink. And she goes on to say, You are the God who sees me. That's what Job, that's the reference we saw in Job. He knows the way that we take. She utters this attribute of God's omniscience. You're providing, you're saving, you're sparing our life by just providing our basic food and water. Now, lest we just say humdrum, this is, this is, yeah, whatever. Let me make a connection. I'm not saying you're saying that, but I just want to stir you up to remembrance. What does Jesus tell us to pray for in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 5? What is the basic meaning of being a disciple? The basic meaning of being a disciple is to take all and abandon all and to follow him, to hear his call, to obey him, and not to be fearful over our basic daily necessities. Children of God, listen, I I, I know where we live. We all live in the same economy. We all live in the same world. And while that's not the aim of the message tonight, we're, we're just simply looking at God's provision for his people. God knows the time in which we live. God knows our circumstances. Let me just remind us of the the prayer and instruction of the Lord in Matthew 6 as we make a connection, look at some of these Old Testament examples of God's provision, His timing of basic necessities and how this is connected to where we live right here in Kingston, Tennessee in 2023. If you remember the Lord's Prayer, Jesus is instructing His disciples how to pray. In, In Matthew 6, verse 6, He says, I tell you when you pray, Go into your room, and when you have shut the door, pray to your Father who is in the secret place. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. And then he goes on to say, Do not pray like the hypocrites. For your Father, verse 8, knows the things that you have need of before you ask Him. Do you remember the first example from 1 Kings? The widow uh, is in need. She's preparing for her last meal. The Lord already knows this. And He sends Elijah to her. He meets her at the gates at the outstretch at the outskirts of the city. Here Jesus says, listen, God is not ignorant. He's not asleep. He's not busy. When you pray to him, the telephone line is not busy. Um, it's almost like, you know, you can't reach anybody that you need in the sense of you, have, you need to call a corporate number or, you know, so you had an urgent matter to get to get a human being is <laughs> a, a miracle uh, these days, isn't it? Listen, that is not the way it is with God. He knows what you need before you even ask Him. So He gives instruction here. He says, The Father knows the things you need before you ask Him. In this manner, pray. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be Your name. Your kingdom come, Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Notice verse 11. Give us this day our daily bread. Now can we just be honest here as we consider briefly God's provision for our basic necessities under this understanding of His providence, His timing the truth is, is very few of us, or we can count on our hands, it's not so much the reality of daily necessities as it is the amount of times we can remember the times in our life where we experience this need of daily necessities. Are you tracking with me? It's not that this is our daily reality like it is for many people around the globe, although for some it may be. But the truth is, we are blessed. And so what we consider our needs, they're certainly real and they're, they're needs that we have, but the reality is, is that these have been times in our life where we were particularly at our wit's end. The cover was bare, the bank account was minimal, and we were brought to a point of desperation. And we say, Lord, truly, if there was ever a time that you were going to reveal yourself and make yourself real, Lord, would you give us this day our daily bread? And it's when we pray that we're, we're right where we need to be. We're praying the most elemental, basic, foundational prayer of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus, to trust in Him, to say, Lord, I I don't know what's going to happen, but would you provide? Now, again, this is not going to be open mic time, but I, I, I hope you will rehearse with me just for a second, as I was rehearsing. Friends, 
I can recount and chronicle specific moments in our marriage, in our life, where, where we were at our, our, our most perplexed point. And I'm sure you have been too. And the Lord brought people along, or events, or circumstances, or things. And in the moment, it just seemed so surreal. And we were thinking so horizontally, but it took a moment to realize this was the work of the Lord. Miraculously providing for that bill, or that meal, or that event. Or that obligation. And we said, Lord, what are we going to do? I, I could recount many to you, and I'll only give you one. I'll never forget having a, a particular obligation that I needed to meet and was unable to do it. And I just said, Lord, help. <laughs> and in the proper time, we received an insurance uh, reimbursement that was for the exact amount of the need that we owed. That was the obligation. I'm not trying to be fantastic, I'm not trying to go on and on, but surely, if we have the same God, and I know we do, you've experienced that as well. Just instances and circumstances. Maybe you were in a sense of joblessness, or you lost your job, and, you, and that led to needing to provide for your family. You said, Lord, I don't know what I'm going to do. And friends and family and others were used to the Lord to come along and, and to provide. Here's my point, is that theology is not to be sterile, Theology is to lead. As we talk about the sovereignty of God and the providence of God, all of these things are meant to cause us to worship God. It's caused to fuel what you could say is theology is to fuel our doxology, our praise. And I pray that the Lord, particularly in not only this where we are in Esther, the study of the book of Esther, but also just in our daily living as Christians in 2023 and also going into this next week as we give particular attention to thankfulness, I pray the Lord will truly help us to be those who lead the way in gratitude. And by the way, aren't you glad we have someone to thank <laughs> as believers? Aren't you glad that we have a God to thank? I mean, what happens to people who don't believe in God and yet they celebrate Thanksgiving? Who are thankful for what? I don't know. I have no idea. But I am grateful that we have a God to thank. So we looked at, number one, God's timing in the sense of providing basic necessities in his timing in bread and sustenance and provision and money and those types of things. Secondly, very briefly, I want us to look at a couple of verses here at God's timing, and some examples, how God's timing provides direction. Uh, look with me in Isaiah chapter 43, verse 19, and this is a verse that I would encourage you to mark and to just take note of. Uh, Isaiah 43 and verse 19. Isaiah 43 and verse 19, the word of the Lord says, Behold, I will do a new thing. Now it shall spring forth, shall you not know it? I will even make a road in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. Now this is not some type of fantastic statement that the Lord is giving to, to, to make a point, really to say make a way where there is no way, although the Lord certainly does that. But he's literally fulfilled this. You say, what, what do you mean? Notice what he says there, Isaiah 43, 19. I will, I will even make a road in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. Well, consider Israel and the Red Sea, friends. Just as a reference, Genesis, so we look into Exodus, excuse me, the last parts of Genesis and the early parts of Exodus. Just Israel at the Red Sea would be a, a, a complete object lesson of Jehovah. Uh, making a way, a road in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. But more specifically, we, we call this seeking and determining and knowing God's will through the unknown. Coming to crossroads in life and not knowing. We think the Lord is leading us, and yet it, there just doesn't seem to be the path. There seems to be an obstacle, and we don't see what God sees. God sees the path, and yet to us it's just a wall. Have you ever been there? I have. And you say, Lord, what's going on here? I thought you were leading me to do this, and yet it seems to be so unclear seems to be so unknown. This is a part of what we'd say is our discipleship in following the Lord. What seemed to be so clear in times of clarity or um, just realness, all of a sudden is, is clouded with dark. And so we have to truly know what it means to walk step by step by, by faith. Turn with me to Genesis chapter 24, verse 13. And let's look, we see a second example of Abraham's servant. Abraham's servant, and we see God's providential hand leading and guiding him to provide and to look for a wife for Isaac. Again, God's timing providing direction. Genesis chapter 24 and verse 13. 
Now we saw at the see at the beginning of this chapter that Abraham gives particular instructions to his servant Eliezer to secure procure a bride for his son Isaac. Now we see that the servant begins to cry out. Notice there with me in verse 12, it says, Then he said, O Lord God of my master Abraham, please give me success this day and show kindness to my master Abraham. I'm just going to hit pause. Don't you know that Eliezer knew of the covenant promise that God had given to Abraham? Yes. Don't you know that he knew of Yahweh telling him that I will make of you a great nation? Don't you know he feels that weight of being led and used of the Lord and knowing that God's working and yet he feels so frail. Here he is given the task to pick a wife. This is the future of God's covenant blessings. How, how does he do this? Well, he prays. Verse 12, he cries out to the covenant God of Abraham. Then he says, verse 13, he begins to ask the Lord to lead him. He says, behold, here I stand by the well of water and the daughters of men of the city are coming out to draw water. Now let it be that the young woman to whom I say, please let down your pitcher that I may drink. And she says, drink, and I will also give your camels a drink. Let her be the one. Notice that description, the prescriptions he asked of the Lord. He says, let her be the one that you have appointed for your servant Isaac. And by this I will know that you have shown kindness to my master. What, what all is going on here? Listen, behold the divine sovereignty of God. Behold, the, the, the will of man, asking, being led, the very fulfillment of Psalm 37 that says, Delight in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Or we could use here, Delight in the Lord, and he will give you the words to pray, the prayer that you should pray in fulfilling his will. Verse 15, it says, and notice, and it happened. No, don't miss this. And it happened before he finished speaking that, behold, Rebekah, who was born to Bethuel, son of Milcah, the wife of Nahor, Abraham's brother, came out with her pitcher on her shoulder. And on the story goes, I'll let you write the reference and read the rest for yourself. But as it happened before he even finished speaking, he goes on to ask her the very things he just prayed to God for, and she fulfills all that he asked. So he could clearly know this was the wife or the bride for Isaac. Friends, I, I don't know how you, how not, people, not you per se, but how people live life not truly believing that God is guiding their steps, that he's at work, that he's, he will provide, he will lead in his very clear way. In fact, life can be paralyzing if you don't hold to these truths. You will be crushed by false little g-gods and circumstances. There will be tyrants on every throne and everywhere you look except for God on his throne. You will see people, you will resent choices and decisions that people have made. You will see everyone as an enemy or problems in your life because you see them as ultimately sovereign and powerful. And yet many who do that and live that out, they resent or don't trust in the fact that God is working in their lives through people and circumstances and the events that He is leading them, them in. Well, many other examples that we could give, but just number two, we see God's timing and how he provides direction to his people. What about you? Can you trace God's hand in your life? Can you see how COVID-19 and 2019 and 20 and, and 21, and the effects of it in 2021, and when I say COVID-19, I'm not literally talking about the virus. I'm talking about the effects of the sickness. And the way it shaped our world, do, do, do you see that only as um, decisions of men? Surely we're not those Christians who say, uh, you know, we're, we're, we're simply looking horizontally and we just say, what about those politicians and uh, on all the decisions that people make? And we live as if this is the ceiling of the world. No, friends, not at all. For, for many of us, as we think about God's hand working in the years of 2019 and 20 and 21, God, God uh, we experienced God reigning on his throne in amazing ways. We saw his hand turning and working and working the lives of those that we love and working in our lives and working in uh, other friends' lives and those around us. And it just reminded all of us that God is a God of providence and wisdom and answering prayers and shutting doors and opening doors and providing miracles and touching and just all of these things happening all at once. Behold our sovereign God who works in our lives through His wonderful hand of, of providence. Very quickly, I just want to touch on one more heading here, God's timing 
in, in the way he has, or the way he provided destruction in the wicked or to the wicked in the Old Testament. And I think this is important to touch on because we'll make a connection as we come back to Esther, as we think about God <laughs> working through his providence to, to allow Haman to reap what he sows for Mordecai. But that's not the only example. Turn with me to 1 Kings chapter 22 and verse 34. And I want you to notice a key phrase that is so obscure it could be lost in the scriptures. But it shows us that God brings about justice and judgment. That he is not a fool. That the wicked will reap what they sow. 1 Kings 22, 34. We see that Micah has already warned Ahab... If you remember, King Ahab is the wicked king of, of the people of God. Verse 14 says this, And Micah said, As the Lord lives, whatever the Lord says to me, that I will speak. And he goes on to give a prophecy to King Ahab. Now verse 34, notice this phrase, or verse 33, And it happened when the captains of the chariots saw that it was not the king of Israel, that they turned back from pursuing him. Here, here, King Ahab is trying to scheme and trying to escape the prophecy that was given of his destruction. Verse 34, Now a certain man, now notice that phrase that the Holy Spirit gives us, Now a certain man drew a bow at random. In other words, in the perspective of the man, he's just simply letting go arrows against his enemy. A certain man drew a bow at random, and struck the king of Israel between the joints of his armor. What are the odds of that? So he said to the driver of his chariot, Turn around and take me out of the battle, for I am wounded. And the rest of the story goes on from there. Listen, when God decrees the judgment of the wicked, he will fulfill his will. And when God carries out his decree, no one can escape his righteous and just judgment. Here we see a certain man. You could literally say this. I'm not trying to over-prescribe the text. In the language of Ephesians 2.10, this man lived his whole life, whether or not he knew it, for this moment. And a certain man, the Holy Spirit underscores for us, a certain man, unbeknownst to him, at random, lets his arrow fly. And his arrow is the justice and the judgment of the Lord upon his servant. Now, behold how God works even today. The language of Psalm 2. The, the, the leaders of the nations gather themselves together and they plot against the things of the Lord. They plot against the Lord and His uh, anointed. And, and Church of God, let me just tell you, we're not, in, in one sense, as we study through the Gospels, we understand that our calling is the, we're the base things of this world in the eyes of the world. We're the, as we looked at this morning, we're the, the frail sheep with a shepherd. We, we understand that. I'm, I'm not trying to turn away from that now. But let me just encourage you in, that, in making that connection. We have a God who reigns. And, and as we look at the, the nations and we look at headlines and we look at world meetings and we look at world leaders coming together and we see the decisions that they make and the laws that they pass, and in a sense we feel helpless towards that and we get angry at that type of stuff. Listen, God is bringing the wicked to a rightful account of their wicked deeds. Those that are wicked, God will deal with. And no wicked leader, no wicked man will escape the righteous judgment and justice of God. And so what we have an example here, there's others that we could look at as well, that that arrow hits the exact spot and, and wipes out the king of delivering God's justice and judgment. One more heading for you if you're taking notes. We will not have time to look. We'll only look at one example, and it's this one. Number four, God's timing provides deliverance. God's providence provides deliverance to his children, to his children. And we'll look at one example in the New Testament. I want you to turn with me in closing. Acts chapter 12, verses 6 and 7. Acts chapter 12, verses 6 and 7. As we think about the subject of the sovereignty of God, it's, it's overwhelming in one sense, is that it's so vast, and yet on many of the pages of Scripture, we see how the Lord works at just the right time under the hardest of circumstances, utilizing the obedience of his children, his servants, and raising them up for the exact moment that he ordains for them. And here we see that God works in raising up and answering the prayers of his people. Acts chapter 12, verses 6 and 7. This is the account where Peter is imprisoned, 
And steadfast prayer, join me there in verse 5, is being made for him. And I want you to notice the dual truth of the prayers of the saints, praying, seeking God's hand, his will, and yet the sovereign hand of God at work. Notice here, verse 5, Peter that was therefore kept in prison, but notice here, constant prayer was offered to God for him by the church. Just hit pause there. I love that phrase. Grace Church, as we pray, we are offering up our constant prayer. The church is praying. Is it? Sure it is. You're praying individually as you work through your prayer list, as those who faithfully, week after week, work hard to organize and to set us up, serve us well by letting us know what are the front burner needs of our church. And as we commit those things to prayer, none of that is wasted. You can say it like this, time in prayer is never a waste of time. This evening, just before our worship service here, we spent some time in prayer, praying over the needs of the church, the sick, and the ministry of the Word. And I'll just tell you, it was not wasted. Not because we were doing it. The language here of our text, constant prayer was being offered to God by the church. May the Lord find us to be a praying church, Grace Church. Now, verse 6, And when Herod was about to bring him out the night Peter was sleeping, bound with two chains between two soldiers, and the guards before the door were keeping the prison. Now behold, an angel of the Lord stood by him, and a light shone in the prison, and he struck Peter on the side and raised him up, saying, Arise, quickly. And his chains fell off his hands. Then the angel said to him, Gird yourself and tie on your sandals. And so he did. And he said to him, Put on your garment and follow me. So he went out and followed him and did not know that what was done by the angel was real, <laughs> but he thought he was seeing a vision. You know the rest of the story. He goes on to the house, verse 13, and where they were praying. Notice at the end of verse 12, and many were gathered there together praying for Peter. And as Peter knocked, verse 13, at the door of the gate, a girl named Rhoda came to answer. And she recognized Peter's voice because of her gladness. She did not open the gate, but she ran and announced that Peter stood before the gate. And they said to her, you are beside yourself. Talk about a wasted prayer meeting. Now, we were praising the church here just a moment ago that the church was constantly making prayer for Peter. Now their unbelief comes to the forefront. But here's the thing. That happens, doesn't it? And that's part of what I've been trying to draw out, and I hope the Holy Spirit will help us here tonight. It's, it's one thing to see these acts and providences and his, the work of providence in Scripture and then in history. But do you miss them in your own life? And if you have eyes to, in the language of Jesus, let him who has ears to hear, let him hear. Let him who has eyes to see, let him see. Well, here we see that the church, their unbelief comes to the forefront. They tell her, you are beside yourself. Yet she kept insisting that it was so. So they said, it is his angel. Well, notice here, that, that's common on the lips of all kinds of, oh, that, that's their angel. Well, they're not necessarily wrong. <laughs> Peter did, did have an angel at work, but it, sorry, but it wasn't his angel here. It's, it's Peter. So they, they certainly had a better understanding of angelology than maybe even we do. Now Peter continued knocking, and when they opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. Thomas Watson, commenting on this verse, says, It was the angel that fetched Peter out of prison, but it was prayer that fetched the angel. Friends, behold how God works the means which he ordains as he works with his providential arm. And yet, as we saw in Matthew's gospel just a few weeks ago, this kind comes but by prayer and fasting. So you say, as we have given attention to the providential hand of God at work, we bring it to full conclusion as we say, what about us? Well, surely let us trace God's hand in history. Surely let us study his truth and exalt in the glories of his attributes. But if that doesn't lead us to better obedience, loving and faithful obedience as his children... If that does not fuel our worship and doxology of who he is, then we're, we're getting it in our head, and that's good, but it's missing the heart. And what misses the heart affects every aspect of our service for King Jesus. May the Lord help us as we give consideration to these things. Remember and trust and know that God is at work. Psalm 37, 23, the steps of a good man, knowing that they are ordered of the Lord, that he delights in his, his way. Final verse here, Job 23, verse 10. Job says this, He knows the way that I take. When he has tested me, I shall come forth as gold. Friends, he knows the way that you take. 
Your steps are, are ordered by the Lord. Do you believe that? Well, as you live that reality in your daily living, may you ask the Lord to help you to understand and sense His leading of His Spirit, the work of His hand, His provision that leads to worship of Him and comfort to your spirit, and knowing, Ephesians 2.10, that He has prepared you for good works, which, that He has prepared beforehand that you should walk in them. Literally, we should ask ourselves the question, Lord, as I love you and as I grow in your truth and your word, is what I'm doing today, is this what you had planned for me? Now, don't hear that and think of, take it to the level of OCD. I don't mean like that, you know, those of, you, those of us who struggle with that. What I mean is, is my priorities. I don't mean literally, is this glass of water, is this what I'm supposed to be doing? Not, we're not talking about that. We're talking about our aims, our ambitions, our priorities, of asking the Lord, reveal to us your will, and is what the decisions we're making as a family, the decisions I'm making for my life, how I choose to spend my time, how, what we do as a church. Is this what you have purpose for Grace Church? Is our values, are they your values, Lord Jesus? Help us to remember you are the God, not only of the past, but all of history is your story. And that you're not just at work in the book of Esther, chapter 4, 5, and 6, but you're at work right here in our life, in our families even this week. And I'll tell you this, pastoral word here. We're, we're going to be around the Thanksgiving table with friends and family and those that we know and love. Hopefully next Sunday night, as we plan and prepare to minister for the Lord, the Lord has conversations that He wants us to have this week. Uh, may we consider all of these things in light of that and say, Lord, you want me to have this conversation with this dear one that I love. Lord, you prepared me for this moment. Lord, you prepared them and you brought us, and it's all come for such a time as this. Now, I know it's not that easy. I know it's harder than that. Uh, it certainly is not, um, you know, to be reduced to that. But may we find ourselves trusting him and saying, Lord, lead me and guide me in a clear and plain path. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We pray that you will take this simple study, Lord, and aside here tonight as we hit Paul's and Esther, but Lord, that you will bring application, that your spirit will revive us and show us your hand at work in our marriages, particularly this week as we head into a, a unique week. Lord, we pray that you would afford for us gospel opportunities, great commission moments, Lord, where we can seek to plant the seed of the word of God, seeing your providential hand at work in our businesses and our work and our efforts, our labors. And Lord, we pray that you would help us to redeem those very things, knowing that you've raised us up for, for this very moment, for such a time as this. And we'll trust you, Lord, to lead us and to continue to bless us. Lord, thank you for a wonderful Lord's Day. We pray that you would bless all that was done here today and that you would be glorified in every bit of it. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.